Hello listeners, welcome to the Ad Intellect podcast. Today we have with us a very special guest, Asha Arvindakshan, who's the Vice President of Operations at Sprinkler and also the author of the book Skills: The Common Denominator. Her book Skills highlights true stories of transferable skills for career success. Asha serves on the board of directors for the MIT Sloan Club of New York, the Alumni Leadership Council for the Forte Foundation, and also the venture partner for Verve Ventures. Asha studied business at the George Washington University and did her MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management. Her book is now available on Amazon and the link is given in the show notes below. The best way to find Asha is on Twitter at the rate DC Asha that is at the rate DC ASHA. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. Hi Asha, thank you for being on the show. Um I know we have been going back and forth since a long time but uh thanks finally to to be here and uh you know interact with the audience. So thank you so much. Thanks Kinchak for having me. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and learning more about your podcast and your and your listeners. Great, great. Um so congratulations on your book uh skills. Um I I read it when it when i got to know it and trust me it is one of the best books i've read this year um partly because uh i was very curious about the whole concept of transferable transferable skills i think it's very well portrayed uh in the book and uh, another thing was that like uh, there were so many inspirational stories of people making career pivots including yourself um which i really enjoyed to uh read and uh i got inspired as well personally uh after the book so great i think it was it was a well well written book with with great uh, stories oh thank you so much it really you know i was excited to see your tweets that show that you were reading it a couple of weeks ago and your real time feedback it was it was great to see that and i think the timing of the book just it just happened to work out really well i did all those interviews this year i wrote all those stories this year so they're yeah. you know they're current they're relevant um yes. these are people who have an average of six pivots in each of those chapters that you're reading and so they have a, a lot of detail in there of how you can make a change how you can leverage your networks to help you make a change and i hope it inspires other people to take that leap yeah exactly exactly i mean um the the thing like the thing with career pivots is that um it really seems very hard on the surface uh to do that but you know when you have such insights you have such uh uh stories at your disposal which really inspire you i think you can uh you know get that confidence that it can be done it's not impossible so i think i think that was very valuable um cool So I think I think the best way to start this podcast would be I think with your with your journey which was personally to me very inspirational. So yes. you have very beautifully narrated your journey in your book. Um however, you know, for our listeners, can you briefly take us through your uh, journey like let's start from your young uh when you were a young business grad from GW University uh, in 2002 uh to you know currently where you are. at sprinkler as as vp of customer operations sure so i try to do it in a few minutes so we don't bore everybody <laughs> but i yeah. actually um in high school i had, took accounting and business law and from that i knew i wanted to study business so the second i got to george washington university in washington dc i was a business major and i declared finance as my major from day 1 whereas the rest of my classmates all were pre med <laughs> and they switched into the business school later on. So it was kind of funny to see that um while we went through college. During college I also got involved with student organizations like the South Asian Society and the Indian Student Association, participated in the shows that we put on and the events that we had throughout the year and I had internships. I had an internship on Capitol Hill. I took an internship with a financial services company because that was related to my major. Um and then I took an event planning internship with Thai the Indus entrepreneurs 
and learned all about the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Washington, DC. So I had this really, you know, multiple levels of different exposure to different industries, different topics, different types of people, working styles, and figured out that I really liked that entrepreneurial environment that Ty gave and the the learnings that I would have from the executives that were part of the membership. So I ended up working there for three years through college and and that became my first job actually. And so, you know, I never, and you know, I look back, I never ended up taking a job in finance, but I have leveraged the other parts of my business degree in Mm -hmm. all of my experiences. And so from there, you know, it was a small organization. I wanted to work for a bigger company. I went to the corporate executive board which ended up being bought by Gartner a few years ago. And there, you know, as part of a strategic accounts team, it was a new team. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it was very entrepreneurial startup-like in a large publicly traded company, you know, mm-hmm. got to set up how the, the infrastructure of that team, the processes we use, how we communicate with, the, with this field, you know, the sales staff. And that was really exciting, especially coming right. in as a new hire on that team. Um, and then, you know, I made several pivots. I went into government for four years, as a young yeah. person, that was really exciting because I was really always interested in politics. And now I got to see the inside of how a city government worked. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was the most fulfilling role I've ever had. Just you know, doing the work and seeing it in service of, the, of your fellow citizens, improving mm-hmm. their lives. Uh, there's nothing more rewarding than that type of work. That was just the first 10 years of my career. Oh, yeah. And so- No, I, that, I'm, know, in, I'm all ears. <laughs> I think you have a great story behind you. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think in that first 10 years, I got to work nonprofit, corporate sector and public sector, which, you know, many people don't even do in their whole career. And that really just gave me this huge sense of like, you can work on a company with a lot of resources, a lot of money, and, you know, you things can move around really slowly, or you can work in an organization like a government or nonprofit, which doesn't have a lot of resources but you're hungry to do things and get them done and you're willing to test and iterate. And so it was interesting seeing that contrast between those environments. Um, In the 10 years since then, I've been able to, again, work in more nonprofits, um, went back to business school. I went to MIT Sloan for a a mid-career MBA. That was amazing, Mm -hmm. the best year of my life. And since then I've worked with startups. And when I joined Sprinkler a few years ago, they were still a startup. And was able yeah. to see, you know, the process of going from a startup to a publicly traded company this year. Wow, that's that's a great journey. Um, cool. So um, let me let me ask you a tough question uh, at the yeah. beginning of the podcast. Only, I mean, not a tough, but um, so v- like, f- uh, if you have to choose one experience from your entire journey, which was, uh, I won't say the best, but the most transformational or which had the most impact uh, in your professional uh, career, which one would you choose? I would choose the experience. Oh, I was, I was going to rush to say the experience in the government. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to stick with that answer because okay. for me, I was 26 years old when I joined the government and wow. I joined a role where I was running strategy and performance management for the technology mm-hmm. projects of the city of Washington, D.C., And in that role in the first two years, I not only launched this performance management program called TechStat, which Mm -hmm. became a a national model, I I was in charge of the budget. I was in charge of our internal communications. Um, I worked closely with our HR and marketing teams and how we communicated what we were doing to the outside world. And it was such an amazing experience that two years in, I was selected to be the chief of staff of the agency. And wow. that is an honor and a privilege that has been unmatched in my career since then. And the, you know, the, the vantage point, the interactions with the city council, the mayor's office, especially again, I'm not even 30 years old at this point, um, was amazing. It, and it again, has been unmatched in my career since. Oh yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's very profound because you got to, got to experience so many sectors in such a, such a brief, uh, period of time. I think, I think that was great. Yeah. And I think one thing I should have mentioned is I didn't intentionally set out to make those changes. The one change, you know, I I did take the job of the nonprofit when I graduated because there were no other jobs available. Yeah. I did apply to the job, you know, corporate executive work because I wanted the private sector experience, but it was a referral 
that actually helped me get the exactly. interview. And the same thing with the government experience, it was a referral that brought me in the door. And so having people in your network that can help you make these changes when you want to make it, or maybe when you don't know you want to make it mm -hmm. is really important to make sure that you're cultivating the network and keeping in touch with people. And they're aware of what you can bring to the table. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's what I, that's the idea that I got from, from the, when I was reading the book, which was very, very uh, uh, incredible and profound to me. And I have like a, a question reserved for it at a later stage in this podcast okay. as well. Yeah, that was that was really great. Uh, the way you the way your connections worked out, uh, you know, in a more natural, organic way, uh, rather than you know you uh, really uh, looking for opportunities, but the opportunities came to you at 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 various moments in your life. So I think that was that was great. Um, right. I mean, there are points where I did set an intention, yeah. um, like when I wanted to work for Ashoka. I read yeah. about Ashoka online. It's like, wow, I really want to work there. I love the values they have of leadership, empathy, and teamwork. So exactly. I went and looked for a role. I found a role online that I thought I could work, be perfect for, even though I didn't have the experience for it. Yeah. And it all came together because I ended up getting a referral into the role and exactly. months later got the role. So I think there is this, you know, if you're intentional, you can make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The Ashoka one was a very inspiring story. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, cool. Um, uh, moving ahead, uh, I believe the focal point of the book uh, is around the concept of trans transferable skills, right? Um, like definitely networking, risk taking, and and everything else is is very important. But I I wanted to ask you, like, how did you come to the con conclusion that like skills are the common denominator? Uh, I mean, skills are the thing. Uh, the main thing that matters also for you know the better uh, understanding of the audience like how do you define transferable skills and how they can help people looking for a career switch such a great set of questions Kinchuk. i mean even the actions of networking and risk taking are skills in themselves and for some people they come more easier or more natural and for the rest of us we can work on it and that's what i've learned right it's really important to have a growth mindset when you approach your career and your career journey. So to your question about transferable skills, those are competencies or skills that we develop at work, in school, and volunteer activities, but we're intentional about using them in different contexts. Sometimes we compartmentalize what we do at work versus what we do in our community. And we need to learn that we can transfer those skills between one environment or the next. And so when you're looking to make a career switch, you want to leverage your transferable skills to demonstrate that you have the abilities to take on a new role. For example, you may be an individual contributor at work, but a community leader outside of work. You should be able to share those stories and examples of how you exhibit those leadership activities outside in your community group and show that you're ready for a managerial role in your company. And your company should want to take the chance on you because you can demonstrate your success outside the company and you should be able to bring that into the company. Like they're literally sitting on a gold mine of talent and they don't even know it. And so that's, you know, one reason I wrote the book was also to help people who are in the hiring manager role or the recruiter role understand the potential of people. And it's not just what's written on the resume, but it's mm -hmm. more that you have your, you know, if you're not demonstrating your storytelling correctly, they may be missing out on what you could potentially bring. And the reason that I you know, came to conclude that skills are the common denominator, it actually started for me like six, seven years ago. I was serving on the Alumni Association at George Washington University, and I would you know, meet our other board members. And we had about 60, 70 people at the board at the time. And there was something very common in that we all studied one thing at school, but then we worked in a different career. We're all successful, right? And so I was like, that's so interesting that, you know, how do you connect the dots between what you did in school and what you're doing now. And what I started to realize at that point was we have these foundational learnings in university, as well as our extracurriculars, whether that be student life or part-time jobs that we have. And all those formative experiences help us reach the positions that we're currently in. And so it's not necessarily what we're learning in the classroom, but those real life skills from you know those activities I just talked about that give us resilience, they fuel our ambition to want to do more and they cultivate our team building skills in a way that sitting in a classroom doesn't. 
Great, great. Yeah. So, uh, so when you when you connect the dots, is it's the transferable skills that you know really come up and really help you understand like how this happened, uh, how this happened from place A to place B, then place B to place C, uh, and how how that plays out. No, I think I think that's that's uh, a really well well put idea. Um, another thing which while reading the book actually I was thinking is that the concept of skills I think it's embedded somewhere in every every person's mind right uh, I mean yes. it's technically not a new concept but the um, the dimension that you gave to 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 the aspect of skills in the book is probably something which is which is really important and I think if if somebody could have just one takeaway from the book, I think that that would be it. Like, how can you utilize these skills one place to another, um, completely change the trajectory of your career using that? Um, and when I'm when I'm talking to you know young professionals uh, or even colleagues, I often often times I. Uh, came come across this this sort of mindset in which you know uh, somebody has a certain skill but uh, they are not able to connect the dots like how would they utilize in this this opportunity that they really want to jump into uh, will that will will they even will the recruiters actually even consider it so so i think this is where storytelling yeah. is really important and yeah. so one reason that i used real life stories in the book was to provide these examples that people can read and say, you know what? I'm actually the same way. Yeah. I, you know, I, and, and they can put words into how they have those skills and then use that storytelling when they're applying to a job. Maybe they need to include that storytelling in their cover letter if they're exactly. trying to break into a role that's totally different. And then when they get that interview, you know, the interview is, is, a, is a sales conversation, really. You know, you're yeah. trying to sell yourself. And so you need to have those stories ready to convince the interviewer that you are qualified for the role. Um, you know, it's interesting. The job description is a wish list. Yeah. Nobody actually meets every bullet point on a job description. Exactly. And so when you go through the job description and you're, you're, and I recommend you, you know, you take those bullets, you put it into a table and you put side by side, this is how I meet that bullet or maybe how you don't meet that bullet, but, you know, be honest with your storytelling of like, here's where I have an example of where I did that same work somewhere else. Yeah. And maybe that was done in a workplace. Maybe that was done outside the workplace, yeah. but you have to have a story. And if you can have all those, you know, the stories lined up for each of the bullets, then all of a sudden you can focus on your strengths. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, you know, is there a team or team member that has these skills in maybe the place where you don't have strengths? Yeah. And that's, the, yeah. that's how a team works, right? You have complementary skills that you're bringing in and that you're going to make sure that all together you're moving the company forward. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's very well put. Like the job description is sort of a moonshot uh, thing, which every recruiter or a hiring manager really wants, but seldom they, they get candidates who check, check every box. So I think it's very important for the candidates or, or, you know, the professionals who want to make a switch also realize that, um, that they'll probably not meet every criteria, but if they can, you know, connect the dots between, what's what's asked and what they have done probably it's a, it's a good opportunity for them uh as well exactly and, and the hiring manager when and they know that when they write the job description and they are willing to almost negotiate with themselves on yeah. what's really yeah. important in that candidate in in coming into their role and joining their team exactly cool Cool. Thanks for touching base on on uh on the transferable skills part. I think that was that was uh really important and uh you know something which i was also really curious about while actually reading the book um i wanted to touch base on the networking piece uh piece a bit again that's something i'm very much curious about uh um i mean i like sharing my journey i i started probably high school university where uh, i didn't have a lot of friends but um i got into certain organizations i did uh, uh, a few things where I realized the power of networking. And since then- You were uh, part of ISEC, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a was, huge student organization globally. And I think that's amazing you were part of it. Yeah, exactly. So I was a part of ISEC, which was definitely a major inflection point in my life. Like it, it 
uh, I was talking about in the in the previous podcast as well. So it actually converted me from an introvert to an extrovert, and you know uh, everything else happened. And yeah, that's where I realized the power of networking, uh, probably at an early stage. And since then, you know, I've I've always tried to build a network wherever I go, wherever I work. Um, and I think it has been uh, going pretty well. Um, so. I think from reading your story in your book, definitely, I think network played a very pivotal role in your career progression. Um, and I think almost every story that was featured in that book, uh, their network somewhere or another played a very crucial role for them as well. So um, one thing which really stood out while I was actually reading the book and understanding your story and your journey was the relationship building piece uh, by which I mean that uh, like you your net like your network was not just a network but it was sort of a, a deepened relationship with your colleagues or people who actually referred you or introduced you to to a journey right so how what I wanted to ask you was that how did you cultivate that relationship in a way that you know when there's someone in your close network who has an opportunity, you are the first one that they reach out to. You know, such great points, Kinchuk. Each chapter does have an element of skills-based networking highlighted in it. So I'm glad you noticed it. I, I yeah. didn't want to like spell it out for people, but it's there. Yeah. And so one thing that I want to say is sometimes I'm good at cultivating relationships. Sometimes I'm not. And mm. so, but with the one thing I am good at is no, I show up to work. What you see is what you get. I get shit done. I tell the truth when I do my work and people notice that and they remember that. And when they are creating a role or they're creating a team, they remember that. And that's when they call me to say, you know what, Asha, you've got the skills that I need on this team that I'm setting up. And so I think that's just, you want one thing that always remember people are watching you. I know sometimes we think they're not, but they are, they're watching you and they remember what you're doing. And they remember the authenticity of your interactions. So, you know, pay attention to how you present yourself, pay attention to your reputation. That reputation is your calling card and will open the door to future opportunities. For myself, I know that once I became a hiring manager, I also realized like I'm watching even more the people around me and yeah. not only in a professional sense in the company, but the people I know from previous companies and the people in my personal networks and considering, do they have a skill that I need on my team? Yeah. And so when you start to have an opportunity to build teams, you think about the people around you first. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned, that's inside and outside the company, because yeah. sometimes before you even choose to advertise a role, mm -hmm. you may decide, let me reach out to so-and-so and see if they'll be willing to consider this type of role yeah. and, and join my team. And that happens a lot more than you realize. Okay. And so for me, it really clicked that you have to be intentional in networking to stay on people's radars. And that's whether you're hiring or you're a job seeker. And yeah. what social media does, it allows you to stay on top of other people's, you know, like thoughts and minds as they are building their teams and growing their, their departments. And so when you post a personal post or a professional update, it's a great way for people that you worked with previously or who may want to work with you in the future to yeah. remember what you bring to the table. I know that was a really long response, but I hope it answered your question. No, it, it definitely did. I think, uh, I think you were, you're spot on, like, like when you said that, you knew how to build trust and, uh, you, you always showed up, right. So like showing up is half the pattern, uh, exactly. So, right. um, yeah, I, 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 I think uh, you know, building that trust is probably which plays a pivotal role because people really, people might not remember, uh, you know, you at, at certain point of time, but when there's an opportunity, they can uh, connect, like, how did you, how did you work uh, during the duration where you were with them? And That's right. If there's a challenging role and you are, a, you're a capable candidate, they'll, they'll definitely reach out to you uh, uh, to grab Absolutely. that opportunity. Yeah, I think especially, you know, in a workplace that offers maybe stretch roles early in my career, I worked yeah. in places like that. There were stretch roles and I would be considered for those stretch roles or be at the top of the list because yeah. of the work I was 
was doing in my day to day. And so yeah. you just want, again, to show up, be authentic, get the work done yeah. and the rest will happen. Definitely. Um, I also wanted to touch base on um, like post pandemic, you know, definitely we are, we are going back to the workplace, but a lot of roles are still remote and uh, we are still stuck at homes working day and night. So how do you, uh, what's your strategy for somebody who's in a remote first environment? Like, how would you advise them to, you know, build those kind of relationships um, uh, at, at that, at this particular point in time? And also, do you think that with a remote first environment where you are not, where you're not interacting with your team in person regularly, that degree of relationship is possible? Like now, uh, what do you think about it? Absolutely. I think we're going to be in a remote first environment for another couple of years, to be mm -hmm. honest. So this is, it needs to become the norm if it hasn't for you already. And yeah. you need to start being more intentional. And I think this element of watching and paying attention to others still exists in a virtual environment. We, yeah. we don't get as many social cues, you know, with body language and, and gestures and things like that when you're, when you're dealing with the Zoom screen. Mm -hmm. But I think you can still figure out, you know, what does someone bring to the table? and what skills they have, especially when it's, you know how tough it is to get things done in a virtual environment. So yeah. if someone's succeeding in collaboration, communication with executives, people management, project management, this will stand out. Yeah. And that's how you know, like, okay, I need that person on my team. You know, just before we started the call today, we were talking about examples of, of podcast. And so I shared the example of how um, I was on a podcast recently where the host is someone I met in a virtual networking chat yeah. five or six years ago. You know, this wow. literally is a text-based chat through alumni of the George Washington University. Maybe exactly. it was seven or eight minutes. You know, we got to trade introductions, what we're working on, how we can help each other, and then said, okay, let's connect on LinkedIn. That's it. And through the years, we've, you know, seen each other's post on LinkedIn. You know, I, I, like I said, I, you know, I went back to school. I joined these startups. He saw that. Um, I saw that he left his company, started his own, started the podcast, you know, so we see all these updates um, and we both have written books. So it was another commonality. And when we got on the phone a month ago, it was like, we had been friends the whole time. Great. And I Great. think that's where, you know, social media can play a really good role in helping you to stay relevant and stay on the radar. As I mentioned earlier, I know yeah. you have a similar yeah. story that you wanted to share. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I like I was, I was referring to uh, one of my friends who I uh, knew from the online course that I did from Harvard Business School online, uh, which is like the online version of certain specialized courses. Uh, so I did a business analytics course back in 2018 from uh, HBS and uh, uh, within an online cohort, I, I made really good connections with uh, five to six people uh, who I'm who am, am I still in touch? So one of them was uh, Gloria Shaw, who actually came to my podcast as a guest earlier. I think it was the second or the third episode. And yeah, I, I think it was it was really interesting because it, it was a completely online uh, course, but uh, still, you know, I could make certain connections. I could uh, make a small uh, community uh, out of it. And uh, when actually I was looking for guests, for my newly launched podcast, I, I reached out to Gloria and she she agreed to do to to come to the show. So that was great. And uh, as a matter of fact, she also interned in Sprinkler. So uh, I think uh, she she knows you and she has interacted with you before. So you know that was that was great. What a great story and what a small world it is. Exactly. Right. And so what I love is in your story in particular is you could have gone to that online class and interacted with no one. Yeah, <laughs> But totally. you were intentional and you yeah. intentionally network with people who are outside of your country in different places of the world. And you built a network, a global network, which is amazing. Yeah. So that when you launched this podcast three years later, you're able to yeah. lean on that network in particular and yeah. have your, your second guest on the show. And then yeah. again, it's a small world that Gloria happened to intern at Sprinkler this summer and I met her. Uh, on multiple occasions during her internship. And so when you reached out to me and I was researching your show, I'm like, oh, that's great. He's had Gloria on. I know Gloria, she must, you know, really enjoy the experience. Let me talk to Kinshuk. And so yeah. it's all related. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. So my first guest on my podcast was uh, someone I met uh, when I was in ISIC. Second one was when I someone I met when I was in uh, doing this online course. So you know, uh, everything like networking really plays out at at certain stages, which is that's why I think it's it's very crucial. Um, Absolutely, and I can give a job search example if the listeners are interested for that. Yeah. Um, so I'll give an example where I served on a board. So this is a volunteer activity. Mm-hmm. And I was the only remote member of this board. And oh. so for two years, I would dial in. This is, we didn't even, we weren't so sophisticated that we even use Zoom. You know, oh. this, is, you know this is only like four or five years ago. Okay. And I would dial in on the phone and they would, you know, and I would participate in the conversations. And then I think once or twice during those two years, I got to meet some of them in person. Oh. And then fast forward to last year, I'm no longer on the board. Um, but during the pandemic, one of the board members reached out to me because she was starting a job search. And so we ended up talking about what she was looking for. I recommended a book to her. And I said, you know, if I see anything, I'll pass it along to you. And I did send some roles to her, you know, that, that, that she found interesting. And then a couple of months later, she actually reached out to me because she found her dream role at a company where I happened to know the HR person. Wow. And I said, oh, that's awesome. You know, I actually only met him once you know, and that was maybe five years before, but I'm happy to send you, send a note and see if he'll talk to you. And I did. And he agreed. They connected. And all I know now is she's in that dream job and she's so happy in that dream job. So I think, you know, in that scenario, I met her once in person, we talked, you know, on phone in these monthly board meetings. And then once again, during her job search, our interactions are really minimal. Right. But it was intentional in that she reached out. She kept me updated. And this is all in a virtual environment. So I think like we can help people as long as we we ask for help and we show we're vulnerable and need help and they will reciprocate and help us. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great story. Um, I think uh, there was uh, I wanted to quote this these lines from the book. Uh, I mean, if I have the permission to do so, of which, course. which really connected when I was reading, uh, and from your story as well. Like, uh, so so you mentioned there that you know, like as you can see, um, my personal outreach had much higher success rate of uh, converse, conversations than the online job uh, applications. Uh, this is why you should laser focus your efforts on cultivating your networks understanding your skills and knowing what you what you want to do so definitely i think um like your personal connections would would they definitely outweigh the online job applications that effort that you put so i think that's that's a very profound takeaway thank you and i just for the listeners to have the context um this was uh, 2018 when i did my last job search i applied to jobs online i had a seven percent conversion from the job application to an interview. And I ended up applying to over 300 jobs. So you can imagine, you know, only getting 20 interviews. It was, it was nice to get those interviews, but I expected a higher conversion rate, you know, to get an interview. On the other hand, when I reached out to my personal network and I I only reached out to 18 people, over 70% responded and said they would have a conversation with me about their company. And that's what I asked for in that email. I wanted to learn more about their company. I wasn't asking for a job. I wasn't pitching myself for a role. I just wanted to learn more about the company and the culture and if it was someplace that I wanted to work. So I think this is why you know networking and being on people's radar is really important because that's what's going to help you find your next job. Great, great. No, I think I think that's 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 thanks for sharing the stats though. I think those are really um great stats but uh, i think it clearly shows what, what the power of networking is so good um we we'll uh we'll move ahead in a, in a similar direction but i wanted to put more focus on credibility and reputation piece which i think uh, we touched based earlier uh as well um again uh there was there were a couple of lines which really uh, resonated with me i think it's um it's a quote that you probably uh, read from Lolly Daskal. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Uh, it was featured in, in Inc. Magazine in June 2017. So it goes something like this, like credibility is in a way a higher bar than success. It means others look at you as a reliable source and a decision maker. It allows those who rely on you 
to know that they can count on you and trust you and do business with you and ultimately align with you so one one thing which you know just just a, a pretext like when i was reading the book i'm trying trying to imagine the first thought was that credibility is something that you know we generally don't sm- spend much time talking about it's always skills networking digital tools personal branding but i think credibility is what backs all that up um and really ties and you to the other person or the team or your manager right but it's often left behind uh that's what i feel um can you share like with your personal experiences how did you build that credibility credibility in your career journey and also if you could share some tips you know for early to mid stage professionals on how should they perceive credibility in their roles or and with their teams absolutely and so for anyone that's interested i that quote is actually from the personal brand chapter of the book and i discuss the importance of the personal brand because like i said earlier your reputation is your calling card it really sets you up for success and so what the great thing is that like you can build a brand and you can just as easily rebrand depending on the type of move that you want to make and so like for myself personally you know i spent 8 years in the government and nonprofit space and i really wanted to work for a tech startup i thought that would be the place where i could leverage my skills the most as an operations professional and you have a wide range of responsibility and bring you know large impact to a company um but i was having a really tough time with that because people would say oh you've been working in the government and nonprofit sector it's different and i would say the only thing that's different is they have no resources so it's actually harder to get things done but they wouldn't they didn't understand that And so for me, I used the moment to actually step out of the workforce for a year, go back to school and get my MBA and kind of reset on my brand. And while in school, I worked on two startups. And so there oh. I'm rewriting my story in that process, making new connections in the startup universe and and positioning myself for roles in startups after I graduate. and that's what i did it took a role in it, it, it two startups like i said before um after i graduated and and it had had good success in that so i think it's really important to know like you have the credibility remember the skills they're foundational and mm-hmm. so what you do with the skills and how you position them are really is up to you and that yeah. you can you can dictate the story and you can tell the story you want um another example i have is i recently gave a presentation to a group of mid career pivoters Mm-hmm. So these are executives that actually also want to work in tech startups similar to what I did many years ago. And I presented to them my career journey as mm-hmm. a tech as working in tech. And mm-hmm. I can show you through all my experiences there's a thread of technology in them. Okay. Even though they're in different sectors. And so I demonstrate I'm really strong in technology and very strong in customer experience because of these ex- all the experiences I've had collectively. I can shift and tell that same story as something of where I love education technology, edtech. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that I have been, you know, working on internal communications and learning and development activities for employees throughout my career, and it may have been something I did not as my primary responsibility, but I can talk about it in a way that shows you like I care about this part of mm-hmm. an employee experience and that I want to work in that type of organization. And so it's so interesting when I present the two stories it's still me but mm-hmm. I have given you different you know different vantages to consider um of my skills and what I bring to the table and I think it's it's so it's it's not easy it does take time you have to learn how to like cultivate the storytelling and the narrative in a way that works in your favor for what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and so we can even try to take a real life example right let's pretend You know, Kenchuk, you you want to go into a really popular role of being um, a product manager. That's all the rage right now, right? Okay. Yeah. And okay. So, and so, tell me some activities that you do in your day to day right now that maybe would fit the profile of a product manager. Okay, uh, that's an interesting exercise. Um, so, I think uh, one thing which I really do often and really quite well, I think, as per my standards, is um, I do a lot of data analysis in my in my current role. Um, Great. Yeah, analyzing KPIs, understanding KPIs, understanding how they're moving up and down. So that's that's one thing. Um, 
another one could be you know understanding feedback uh, uh feedback from stakeholders feedback from customers how how does it translate into business uh and and stuff like that how can we relate it to business actually um and uh, you know generally look out, looking out for patterns insights uh, and and stuff like that so yeah i think these well, are the three things that's awesome those are like the best pillars you could have and transferable skills for product manager role and that's okay. because you know product managers they should be building their product roadmaps factoring in the stakeholder feedback you have to have an open mind to do that especially when you know the, the product is your baby and you don't want anyone messing with it yeah. you especially customer feedback of all the stakeholders that's the most important you have to build something that customers want and yeah. then you talked about the data analysis the ability to analyze those kpis in a technical landscape in a competitive market find trends in the kpis you have to be able to synthesize that data into summaries for your executives, for your business partners, even the marketing team, so that they mm -hmm. can then tell you know the world this is how this product can improve what they're doing. And yeah. finally, you know, the insights again, you want to know like how the customers are using the product and be able to improve it with every product release that you have and be able to track back for the customer. You asked for this, so we delivered that. Yeah. That's your happy customer right there. So I think, you know, in this example, which, you know, we did very quickly, you have transferable skills for this type of role. And now you can start to talk about them in a way that connects the dots for others so that they can see that you can be a product manager if that's the role that you want. And that way, when the right role opens up, you're a fit and they call you first. Great. Great. Thanks. Thanks for doing this exercise. And probably what I feel is that uh, everybody who's looking for a career change at whatever stage they are in, probably they can take out 10, 15 minutes uh, in, in, uh, of their day and do this exercise. They'll actually be able to connect those dots and start working towards their goal. Uh, that, was, that was really uh, eye-opening, I'd say. Great. Um, one thing which, just a follow-up question, which was in my mind um, before we move on is, um, so you, while you were narrating those, those journeys and, like how can we look at the job description and try to connect the dots and uh, you know how can we narrate a story uh, during interviews uh, etc um from your experience can you share how much approximate amount of time do you spend um preparing for a job uh, opportunity or a job application or probably an interview process like what was what would be yeah. the optimal amount of time so I think when you see a job description that catches your eye, um, definitely download it because sometimes they get pulled off the internet really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so if you choose to apply, you apply and then you wait for that interview. And I think when you're waiting for that interview, take a look at the job description. And I said, like, make a table, make mm -hmm. a table of all those required capabilities that they're looking for. And in the second column, write the examples of how you meet those qualities. And in those examples, you want to say where you did it and what you did and the impact that you had. And so if your resume is already structured in a way where you're using star bullets, situation, task, the action and the result, you're just pulling from there and you're putting it into the table to help you stay organized. Mm -hmm. And then when you go into, uh, when you have the scheduled interview, you wanna make sure that you not only have like, okay, here's what I bring to the table. You wanna understand who is the interviewer, so you go online, you go on LinkedIn, you look at their background, you create your questions about the company, about the team and about the interviewer. Yeah. I can tell you the number of times on one hand, I've had candidates that I've interviewed ask me a question about me Okay. on one hand. Okay. And so I think that, is, that shows you they're not doing research about the person they're interviewing. They're not doing a, probably as much research about the company. Um, and so I think people really have an opportunity to differentiate themselves yeah. by showing that they care and they want to know the company, the team, and the person much better. So I think that is really important. So you want to, um, and I would write all those questions out. And so that mm -hmm. way, when the interviewer asks you, do you have any questions? You're not saying no. Yeah. I've also had yeah. that happen many times as an interviewer. And I get very disappointed when somebody says no at the end of the call. Because I'm giving you the opportunity to ask me whatever you want and you're not taking it. Yep. And then finally, the most critical thing is to send a thank you note. Yeah, I think that's I like very undervalued. Dying art form. 
And so it's so important. Again, you want to keep differentiating yourself and show that you reflected on the conversation, you enjoyed the conversation, and you're interested in moving forward with the company. And you do that by sending your thank you note within 24 hours to the interviewer. No if and buts about it. That has to be done. Doesn't matter how the interview went. Uh, I think I think that's that's one thing you should definitely do it. It it really shows the candor of uh, of the candidate and like how uh, you know. I mean, they are really interested into the role. Definitely, exactly. even though you you didn't you did not play your A game during that interview, it probably didn't go as as good as it it went. But uh, you wanted it to be, but definitely shows your interest. Yeah, I mean, it just shows like that you know. If you're in a customer-facing role and you don't send the interviewer a thank you note, yeah. are you not going to send a customer a thank you note? Yeah. Right? Like I can make exactly. that inference and yeah. that's what you don't want. Definitely. Definitely. I think I, I gained a lot of, a lot from this conversation as well. I'll put down some notes as, as tips for, you know, my future. So thanks. Thanks for touching base on that. Um, right. Cool. So uh, I reserved the last um part of uh, the podcast for some fun lighthearted questions which i might throw at you at this point um okay. yeah so the first one is um what's your favorite dish that belongs to the indian cuisine oh this is so hard but i think my favorite is ras malai i go i'll go straight to the dessert table to see if it's there yeah i think wow um i think it's one of my favorites as well and i probably had a lot of it just this Diwali. Um, oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. So definitely one of my favorites. Um, so that's that's great. Uh, it's it's really nice. Um, the second question, um, wanted to touch base on your mindfulness routine. Like how do you de-stress yourself after a hectic day of work, book signings, and all the other stuff that you do very recently? Um, and the, I, I just, I just remember this, another thing from the book, which I read, I can't like, I'm not able to remember the exact words, but I think there was a, a specific point where you were uh, mentioning your schedule during, when you were uh, at MIT during an yeah. MBA. And what I realized was it was a very thought out schedule. Like you were not like burning the midnight oil. You were not like, right. Um, you know, sacrificing your sleep, which I think 99.9% of MBA students do. Um, yeah. So how did you maintain that? And then like, what's your mindfulness routine now uh, currently? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I have to develop over time. But one thing I did when I got to MIT was it was like a year of self-care. I started sleeping eight hours a day. I made three meals a day at home. Yeah. And that routine has stayed with me since then. And so I, you know, even though I was up from 8 a.m. to midnight every day, I still made sure that I took care of myself. And so even pre-pandemic, I got into a weekly exercise routine. I would go to spinning class one day and like a dance cardio class another day. And that's how I de-stressed after a long work day. And then with the pandemic, I couldn't do that anymore. And especially at the beginning of the pandemic, you remember there was like such an information overload, right? Yeah. Virus people dying, supply chain issues. Like it was so hard to fall asleep with all that information kind of running around in my head. And so our company actually rolled out Headspace to all the employees and I started using it. And I found that listening to the Headspace, um, the, the recorded meditations was made it easier to fall asleep. And that's yeah. something that I still continue now because the news isn't getting that much better. Yeah, no, I think... Yeah, I think I think some sort of routine is is really good, and I uh, I mean, really kudos to you that you were able to pull that off during your MBA, which is kind of against the norm. Like when I'm talking to MBA MBA students, they are like really, uh, you know, messing up their schedules every now and then. But yeah, I think that was great, uh, great job at that point of time. And yeah, I think Headspace is is awesome. Um, I have I de definitely did try it. Um, at the, at the starting of the pandemic too, um, really, really liked it. But over the time I started doing some yoga, some kind of sort of meditation. Right. Um, yeah. And um, I mean, without the use of headspace and I think that has, that has really worked for me, but at times, you know, I would probably skip 
skip that routine or just go off track for a couple of days but uh what i what i really find good is that i keep myself gravitating towards that routine every now and then so you know let's say i miss 3 days of yoga or meditation i would think probably you know why am i missing should i do some change to my routine and stuff like that so i think the routine from- element is the most important and sticking to the routine yeah yeah no i think i think that's great and one thing i would really like to touch base upon is that as you mentioned at space like a lot of people really struggle with starting to you know meditate or are having issues with anxiety or you know just falling asleep which is which is general i think things like uh, headspace and even calm which is a similar app can help a lot right. to a really good degree um, in that and then once you i mean the end goal is to do it without the support of the app but it takes time to to get there so i think i think uh, people can try that so thanks for yeah and i think there up. are different offerings in the app i think there are your your traditional like meditation breathing exercises those are okay i'm i'm not super into those um there are also just some recorded um i guess guidance is what i would call yeah. it and you can play that and what i found is when i play that I'm not thinking about everything that's running on in my head. I'm exactly. thinking about what they're saying and that focus of what they're saying helps me then to fall asleep. And so mm-hmm. I think you can play around with the the multiple levels of content that's available to find something that resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. That's great. Thanks for that tip. Um, cool. That brings us to the last question, probably um, uh, the, the most important one. So, what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to your younger self? I would say to stay fearless. I think there's an element of us like in high school and college that we just we try everything, we're willing to explore and as we get into corporate culture, we 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 tend to shy away from that mm-hmm. and we could maybe, maybe become more reserved and more cautious of what we're doing especially in a corporate work environment and I think we just are in a time and place right now especially in this remote um, environments where being fearless and trying new things and pushing the boundaries is what's needed to help our companies grow. Great, great. Stay fearless. Cool. So I think that's a great way to end the podcast. And yeah, uh, congratulations again for, on your book. Uh, and thank you so much to taking out the time uh, and coming coming to the show. It was thank nice you to for host having it. me. Thank you for having me. I hope the listeners enjoyed our conversation and they'll pick up skills the common denominator on Amazon. Yeah, perfect. Everything will be linked down in the show notes below, all the links and all the social uh, channels. So cool. Have a nice day, Asha. Thank you. You too. Hey, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Add and Collect. If you have any thoughts, feedback or suggestion about this episode or the podcast in general, feel free to drop a note on at intellect at the rate gmail.com that is a t intellect at the rate gmail.com until next time peace